0: The and welcome, everyone, to It's Your Money. If you have a financial question for today's speakers, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The number is 1-8886-ADVICE. You can always email your questions as well to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com and you can call and text our studio line for the next hour at 651 461 Now, here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce. Bruce Helmer and Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb. Welcome to both of
1: you.
2: Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bruce, and happy 2024.
1: Here we are already in 2024. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Susie Jones, and hello, Peg Webb. So, Peg, I, kind of the topic today, um, you know, we've, we've been through this festive holiday season, we've, you know, from Thanksgiving to Christmas to New Year's, it just seems like there's all kinds of stuff going on, important stuff, time with family, time with loved ones, celebrating our spirituality, celebrating the beginning of a new year. But all that stuff is in our rearview mirror now, and it's really a good time, I think, for people to take stock of their financial situation. A lot of people make resolutions of changes or improvements they want to make as they head into a, a new year. And today we thought we'd talk about your 2024 financial action plan or your financial New Year's resolutions, Peg.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> so today we're going to take some time and keep it pretty basic. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is <clears throat> the couple things that we always mention when it comes to building a uh, portfolio for yourself or a financial <clears throat> you know, your financial holdings, and we've highlighted a lot in 2023 about fixed income and bonds. And so we're going to refresh everyone about maybe they are still a real opportunity for 2024. Uh, And then we're also going to talk about some concentrated stock positions. But then more so, we're going to talk about what is it that you are doing today and what is it that you could take a couple things with you and say, okay, I'm going to do that one and that one right away. Because a lot of times it's overwhelming, Bruce and Susie, it's just overwhelming because you hear so much noise on the television and through the internet. And of course, when you start a new year, everybody's got an opinion about what you should be doing. So let's start with the basics of just bonds and stocks. Well, um, typically, in in any given year, they have an inverse relationship, meaning one is up and one is down. Well, in 2023, when you look at the performance from January 1st of 2023 to the end of the year, they actually both were up. So it is a, a reason to celebrate because that doesn't happen all the time. But let's consider... Um, this opportunity in fixed income. Now, if you're a religious listener to our show, you hear us talk about the treasuries and how great they are and the interest rates are high and the Fed has you know, um, raised interest rates so dramatically in 2023. But now we want to talk about 2024 specifically. So um, the first thing I want to say is when it comes to bonds, I still think it's super confusing for people as to what really is a bond, and all it is is it's an asset where you're actually lending money to corporations, and they're uh, they're they're giving you some kind of a promise of paying you an interest rate and a date that you would get your money back. <clears throat> And I think the tough thing about bonds is is the way you can purchase them. You can purchase them as individual bonds. Not many people do that unless you have lots of money because you need diversification in bonds just like you need in stocks. So most people will uh, invest in a portfolio where there's a manager, somebody sitting behind a desk or a computer, And they're picking the bonds for you and creating a diversified portfolio of bonds, which is really called actually a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund, where they put a basket of those bonds together. Why is that important? Because if you held those bonds, and I have to start with this, Bruce, is if you held those bonds prior to 2023, um, interest rates were super low, and then they went super high. And what happens is, is when they're super low um, and all of a sudden they, the, the interest rates that you can buy today are very high, you're, you've lost value on those bonds that you own. So if you look at your statement from 2022, you're going to say, oh, my goodness, my bonds are all down. Well, they continue to be down in 2023. But now in this financial plan, we want to talk about ways that you can actually take advantage of. Of interest rates still being high, even though your original investment is low that you had probably in 2022, and hopefully a lot of you haven't sold your bonds and taken a loss because they're starting to um, come up, meaning percentage-wise, they the value of them are coming are higher and higher because all of a sudden now interest rates are lower. So Bruce, that's just kind of a setup of talking about bonds, and I think it was a good idea just to do a refresher before we get into the, kind of the meat of what you can do this year. Bruce?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did that, Peg, and, and uh, it's a great reminder, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people use this terminology or they read about stocks and bonds, and they don't really stop to consider is a bond. And I like the way you explained it. It's debt. It's a loan to either a corporation or or the government. It can be treasury bonds, right? Or a municipality. It can be municipal bonds. So uh, stock, uh, bonds are debt. Stock is equity or ownership. And that's the primary difference between the two types of investments. And I think it's important that you're talking about bonds or fixed income, Peg, because I believe there's a lot of people that are suggesting it's time to get defensive this year. Bonds are uh, less risky than stocks, broadly speaking. And a lot of people, whether it's because it's a presidential election year or because stocks had a pretty big run-up in 2023, I know there's a lot of people talking, or or we think interest rates will go down this year, maybe. There's a lot of reasons why there's suddenly this renewed interest in fixed income or bonds, and nobody understands them better than you do, Peg. Peg?
2: Yeah, and and no one knows exactly where interest rates are going or where the economy is going. Our investment team, uh, which is 50 plus people right now, believe that we're kind of in this late cycle of expansion. And what does that actually mean? It just means it's a phase in the business cycle where economists say, hey, you know, we see a, a pattern of economic activity over time, and we actually think we're on the late end of it. Well, what does that mean to fixed income? Well, that means that if we're on the late end of it, that the Fed, and they've talked about this out loud, that they're going to try to, you know, lower interest rates. Well, that means that your bonds are actually going to rise in value if you owed them prior to them going up. Or what we've been encouraging our clients to do is add to your bond portfolio while it's still down. So you can add by buying individual treasuries. You can add by buying a portfolio, a mutual fund of treasuries. You can, um, the only thing is, is if you want to lock in yield, you want to actually lock in a coupon and an interest rate that's fixed, you have to buy the individual bonds. If you buy a mutual fund where they mutually put a lot of bonds in a bucket, then you're going to rise and fall with interest rates. Both of them are perfectly fine. Um, as options. And one of the things that we're encouraging people to do, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, is don't just buy the short end, the one year or the short intermediate. Uh, Go out a little bit further on that inverted curve, the medium to long-term treasury. Since the Fed has just been lowering um, or raising rates, now they're talking about lowering them, that just means you might want to lock in some of these longer term treasuries or CDs. And then on the short maturities, high yield bonds. So these would be bonds where they're issued by a corporation and they pay more than treasuries because treasuries are deemed as one of the safest type of vehicles in the bond area. But if you buy corporate bonds and if your corporate bonds are down, what a great time to just maybe add a few dollars into that portfolio and your advisor or the person that you're helping you um, would probably encourage you to put some money in those um, bonds. The other thing, Bruce, is, and it doesn't say this on our outline, but if you want to rebalance, now's the time to rebalance. If you feel like your stock portfolio has gone up higher than your bond portfolio, maybe you are out of balance, which would then force you to go buy some more bonds at this time. Bruce?
1: It's so interesting that you brought up reba- rebalancing peg because when I came in today and i and I looked at our outline, the first note I gave myself is rebalance exclamation point, and you just brought it up. Explain the listeners what that means in a little more detail, would you
2: Yeah, so if you have a portfolio that's made up of stocks and bonds, which most people do, and let's say you started out with fifty percent stock, fifty percent bonds. Well, last year alone, the S&P 500 was up 26%. And let's say you've really concentrated on 500 large company stocks or the S&P 500 index. Um, Your bond portfolio was actually up 4% if you were in treasuries, intermediate treasuries. So you then all of a sudden, you may have more stocks. You may have 55% stocks. So you want to take 5% of that growth off your stock portfolio and go buy those bonds. Even though they were up last year, um, we still believe based on 2022, believe it or not, the five-year return, Bruce, on an intermediate treasury annualized was 1%. So don't feel like you're buying your bonds high right now. You're actually buying them extremely low compared to the performance of them over the last five years. Bruce?
1: Yep. And and again, rebalancing is something we talk about all the time. We know it makes economic sense because it essentially assures that you're buying low and selling high. You take the emotion out of it. And I think, Peg, almost everybody in our space, all money managers, all financial planners, understand that and agree with it. The tricky part is, and we're not going to Totally solves today, and I don't want to uh, take us on too long of a detour. But when do you rebalance? You know, when you know, and 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 it, it's not an exact science in terms of when is the best time. But both based on economics that and things that have happened in 2023, and and just the calendar, a fresh start to a new year. This just feels to me like a good time for people to take evaluation of their investment portfolio and look at rebalancing it feels like the right time to me Um, not an exact science but certainly a good idea and and now is probably as good a time as any peg
2: well and i yeah and i know bruce that a lot of our clients um, within our firm listen to the show so if indeed you are a client our investment team if we've you know, hired them to watch, they, they will do the rebalance. Or your financial advisor, if it's going to be more dramatic than just rebalancing 5%, you need to work with your advisor. The only other thing I want to say on fixed income, and then we'll move on, is that a lot of people are looking at dividend-paying stocks. And they always have, right? There's the growth stocks, the tech stocks. But the dividend-paying stocks or utility stocks, believe it or not, there's only a couple sectors of the S and P 500 that were down in 2023, and one was utilities. They were down seven percent. So the, once again, if you're looking to, you know, uh, beef up your fixed income side, that's something that uh, we're looking at too, Bruce.
1: Yeah, and again, um, before we move on, uh, I, I know the question comes up a lot when we talk about rebalancing, and pe- and you just kind of addressed it, Peg. People want to know is it their responsibility or will your advisor do that? We can only speak to what we do at Wealth Enhancement Group, and we take that responsibility for our clients. But a lot of people that are self-managing or maybe have an advisory advisory relationship where they don't get proactive management, where maybe the advisor helped them pick the investments but then doesn't really – scrutinize that or look at it or suggest when to rebalance, then maybe it's up to you. So it depends upon the relationship, whether you're a do it or and the firm that you're working with. But at Wealth Enhancement, we always are proactive and do that rebalancing on our client's behalf when we think it's the appropriate time. Peg?
2: Yeah, the next thing is, and we're seeing a higher level of introduction meetings where people are coming in with concentrated stock positions. And then a lot of times they're coming in with those concentrated stock positions because they are some of these S&P 500 companies that have done really well. And so all of a sudden when we're talking about rebalancing, you may not just rebalance between stocks and bonds. You may rebalance by saying, hey, I've got a real concentrated position you know, in the company stock that I work for or it's something that you've inherited Something like that. So we've been encouraging people, you know, while uh, tax rates are still low. In I, we say this all the time, but January 1st of 2026, it's deemed that uh, the old tax laws are sunsetting, which means if there's no action uh, taken, then we will revert back to the to the pre kind of Trump era taxes, which are higher and they're higher on capital gains as well. So. When you look at a concentrated position, just take note of uh, maybe doing something this year or next year before that happens. The other thing is is uh, some clients come in and say, is it time to gift? So I have a client who has Apple stock and they have a high concentration of Apple stock. Uh, and should they gift those shares to either a charity or their children? And so we review the details of that. This year, 2024, you can gift $18,000 worth uh, to each individual that you want to. So an, a married couple could give 36000 worth of Apple stock and directly give it to um, their children. Or you can gift it to a charity and uh, you can still take a write-off. And if you itemize, you can take a write-off up to 30% of your adjusted gross income, but you don't lose it. So if you have more that you've gifted, then it will roll over to the next year. So um, concentrated stock positions are a big deal. A lot of people like to hang on to it. Well, I use the the um, example of Apple. Well, of course you wanted to hang on to that. That was That's just been a phenomenal stock. But there's some others that are not racing like an Apple stock. So you want to just take note of, you know, what kind of risk am I taking with this concentrated stock? Bruce?
1: Yeah, and to that point, Peg, and, and, and it's a great point, um, there are a lot of people, again, uh, we've talked about this several weeks on the show, that consumer confidence, for whatever reason, appears to be low and they think the sky is falling or the shoe is going to drop. I don't have to share that outlook. That said, it's never a bad idea to take winnings off the table. If you have a lot of embedded gains in the stock portion of your portfolio and you want to convert that to a safer asset class, you want to gift it, or you want to take it as income, or you want to use that for your charitable giving, that's never a bad idea. But we don't recommend to people that they do that because we... because we have a, a negative outlook on, on the year. We, we, it's just good strategic planning. And, you know, again, buy low, sell high. The market is close to historic highs right now. And whether it's an individual stock or a diversified portfolio, to take those winnings off the table and lock in those gains and do something else with that money is just smart planning. It doesn't have anything to do necessarily with us having a negative outlook. Peg, we've got a little less than three minutes left in the first half. I know there's already uh, text coming in. What else do you want to make sure that you communicate to listeners here in the first half of the show?
2: Well, the theme that I wrote down on the outline was the only constant is change. So I think some people listening, they do tend to get complacent and say, oh, it goes up, it goes down. But there's there's so many reasons. Uh, if you don't want to do it alone, you know, to get help, to just analyze what you have and what kind of risk are you really taking for the returns that you're getting. And then secondly, Bruce, it was more so just, um, you know, time in the market versus timing. Now, is a, I, I talked all about rebalancing and that kind of thing, which may appear to be timing, but I don't see it as that. If you um, are trying to time you know, when to sell a stock. I recently had a client that just wanted $2 more a share. And then when I put the math together for them and it was less than 10,000, you know, on a million dollar sale, then then they're saying, why, why am I waiting? You know, so it's things like that, Bruce.
1: Yep. And, and uh, so let's do this. I have a couple of other thoughts on some things that I wanted to mention that weren't on the outline, but we can do that really, really quickly when we come back. And again, uh, Susie's already mentioned that uh, there's, there's people that have texted in questions. But of course, we always have live questions, too. If you want to call in and you want to be on the show, that's great. But uh, here we are at the beginning of 2024. We're coming off what was a really good year in the stock market, a really good year for most investors and what do you do now in 2024? And Peg, I just want to uh, repeat really quickly. Number one, nobody, including us, knows what's going to happen in the short term. And number two, you alluded to it, but I want to emphasize it again. Stocks are for long term. If it's money you're going to need in a year or two, you have no business being in stocks, but if it's money that you don't need for 10 years or more, stocks are a great place to be. And fixed income or bonds, as a hedge to your stocks, as a diversifier, as an income provider, is always, almost always a good idea for most people. Susie, I know we're about ready for a break.
0: Yep, we sure are. We're going to take a break. But if you are listening right now, again, as Bruce said, feel free to call this number, 651-461-9226, to ask your question directly of Bruce and Peg here on the air. Or you can save your question and ask it later. Call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-8886 Advice. You can always email questions as well to your money at But in the meantime, 651 461 And welcome back to the second half of Your Money. It is your money. Reminding you once again, if you have a question for today's guests, you can call this number 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, that number, 1-8886-ADVICE. You can also email questions to yourmoney@wealthenhancement.com. But for the next 25 minutes, you can text or call. Love to hear from you at 651 461 Here once again is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer, and senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb. Welcome back.
1: Thank you, C. Jones. Thank you, listeners. Uh, If you joined us late, uh, Peg and I have been talking about your 2024 financial action plan. We talked a little bit about uh, bonds being in vogue right now for a lot of different reasons, and Peg gave us a great reminder of what bonds are, how they work. Uh, uh, Almost everybody should have a fixed income part of their portfolio that includes uh, different types of bonds. We also revisited the fact that you might have concentrated positions in stocks because stocks had a really good year in the marketplace last year. And if you do have a concentrated position uh, and you want to uh, diversify, some things you can do including gifting, gifting to loved ones, gifting to charity, spending the money, taking winning off the table, rebalancing your portfolio, and so forth. Peg, I know we've. Uh, Susie uh, tells us we've got texters waiting. Uh, we can get the listeners and and, and or callers or texters. Any uh, words, though? You anything you want to convey before we uh, start uh, letting listeners drive the show?
2: You know, the only thing I thought, Bruce, uh, during the break here was, you know, we have kind of a philosophy of don't take more risk than you have to. And why do I say that? Because when we go through clients' details of you know what they own currently, and then we do an analysis and we um, find out what's important to them and what do they value, uh, we make a determination. Well, how much money do you need to risk? You know, how much growth do you need in your portfolio for everything that you describe to us that you want in life? Well, uh, we sum that up by saying. Why take more risk than you have to? We're in a situation right now where fixed income is at least going to help us with our long-term goals, provided that we lock in, you know, some of these interest rates. Do I say you have to do it tomorrow? No. I think 2024, you know, the the Fed will um, start to decrease interest rates, you know, over the year, but. There's an anticipatory mechanism in the markets where they say, oh, the Fed's going to cut. So it's always, always before it actually happens. So you have to be calculated in, you know, when you want to go purchase those things. So I just wanted to mention, Bruce, just let's just keep in mind, you know, our premise is take more risk then you have to because that might alter you in wanting to time things. And so then when you time things, you tend to always, always do it at the wrong time, meaning you sell stocks when they're low and you buy when they're high. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. You sell your bonds when they're low. Now you want to buy them when they're high. So getting advice on you know, uh, getting a portfolio that you're comfortable with. And that's why I say, why take more risk than you have to? Because I find that our clients are so much more content if they're not high rollers in the stock market and lose sleep at night. Bruce?
1: Peg, I'm so glad you went there and I didn't know that's what you were going to do. And thank you. And it reminds me, you know, what I always tell people, and this is the philosophy of our firm, I think if you ask people in general, if you did a survey on the street and say, what's your goal an investor or what what should investors be trying to do, I think you'll get some kind of an answer like, well, I want to get the highest rate of return I can. But I don't accept that premise. With our clients, based on their core values, based on what's important to them, we can help determine a rate of return on investment that they need to get to achieve their goals and objectives, to, to, to achieve happiness. So our goal as investment advisors, as financial advisors, is to help them get the rate of return that they need to achieve those goals and objectives based on their core values, but to get there with the least amount of risk possible. I am not trying to get the highest possible rate of return. I'm trying to get the rate of return they want or need based on their individual circumstances with the least amount of risk possible. And I think that is a differentiator between us and a lot of others in our space, and a lot of people that try to do this by themselves. So I'm so glad you went there. I wasn't even thinking about that, but I'm glad you went there, because I think that's a a hugely important point. Susie, let's uh, get our listeners involved.
0: All right, very good. This texter writes, good morning. I just love your radio show, and I have learned so much from Bruce and Peg." My question is this. I am 28 years old, and I have $2,000 to invest. Is it worthwhile to put the money into a Roth IRA? I am fully employed, have college student loans, and I'm paying on and am a renter. Uh, I'm also saving for life events like getting engaged and married in the next few years. Thank you for any advice.
1: Well, uh, Peg, first of all, I just have to say the fact that a 28-year-old is listening and articulated such a knowledgeable, really good, smart question. I want to applaud them and and compliment them, and I love that we have 28-year-olds listening. I normally don't think of our audience as being that young, so that's awesome. Peg, you want to go first?
2: Well, number one, I would love to track this 28-year-old's success because if they are taking the um, initiative, listen to the show and even if you can learn one thing each week you're going to be so far ahead of everyone else and Bruce you've heard me say a million times this 28 year old is rich in youth you know um, a lot of young people look at older people and say oh why can't I be them you know today well you, you you can be by talking to yourself and just saying I'm actually more rich than those old people, meaning you have um, time. So when we talk about um, choosing when when it is young people like um, this texter, I find that the most difficult decision to make, meaning, you know, do you put in your 401k tax deferred? Do you buy a Roth IRA today? Do you pay off the school loans? Um, it's not a question that can be answered in isolation. And it, it all, what I coach people to, to do is a little bit of each, because we all seem to think it's either this or that, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a third, a third, a third. You could pay off some of the student loans. You can actually do a partial Roth IRA. You can do a partial tax deferred IRA. Um, make sure the other part, the other Part of the equation that um, the texture didn't say was trying to build some after-tax money for bu- buying a home, you know, because if you're renting now, you have to have some kind of down payment. There's a fourth place that you could uh, put some of the money. So I don't think it's one size fits all where it's just one answer, Bruce. I think there's many options, but don't be afraid to diversify that $2,000 amongst all of them.
1: Yeah, I agree, Peg. And and again, the the, the texter articulated the question so well, including uh, sharing some information about themselves with us. But there's a lot of things we don't know. So they they made a reference to emergency funds or or cash or whatever. We don't know how much is there. You know, so if there's six months living expenses in cash, um, maybe the, the Roth IRA with some or even all of $2,000 is a good idea. But if there's $500 in cash, I would say, you know, whoa, you need more cash for emergencies or, or rainy days. But they really hit upon, and your answer also really emphasized, Peg, prioritization is really the the hardest part of financial planning. Because you and I can sit here and talk about all these wonderful ideas you should buy life insurance. You should invest in an IRA. You should invest in a Roth IRA. You should participate in your company 401k plan or whatever the retirement plan is. We, we, can, we can suggest all these things, but most people have, don't have an infinite amount of money to do everything, every good idea that there is. Mm-hmm. So how do they determine what they should do first, what they should do second, and so on? And I like what you said. Maybe it's a combination of several things. It's not an either or or an all or nothing. I totally agree with that. But one thing I do want to mention to, to the texter, the one of the things I love about the Roth IRA. so traditional IRAs, as most of our listeners know, if you put money in there, in essence, you've tied that money up until you're 59 and a half years old. There's some exclusions for being able to take a distribution before 59 and a half without a penalty. But generally speaking, that money's tied up until 59 and a half. And if you take a withdrawal before the age of 59 and a half, you're probably looking at a penalty. So that money's not available to help pay for my wedding or make a down payment on my house or whatever. But on a Roth, I can take back my contribution if I want to or need to. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting or recommending that people should do that, but if you really need to, you can take your contributions back out, you can make a withdrawal, and that's not a taxable event because the contribution was made with after-tax dollars. You only have taxes and a penalty if you take your earnings or your gains. So for young people, the Roth gives them way more flexibility to use that money if they have to or they want to before the age of 59 and a half So uh, to the texter, yes, I love the idea of Roth IRA for you. Should it be the entire 2000 or not? Peg and I just don't know enough to say for sure. But again, I love that you're listening. I love your question. And best of luck. I agree with you, Peg. I'd like to track this person because I think they're on a path to success
0: six five one four six one nine two two six you can call that number or you can text that number to bruce and peg and ask your question live on the air we have a text question from a listener kind of on that same vein what advice do you have for adult children who will inherit their parents retirement accounts
1: bruce Great peg? question. Yeah. Peg, maybe 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 start by talking about the difference between retirement plans like 401Ks and IRAs versus non-qualified plans, because those two things are apples and oranges when it comes to an inheritance, and they're taxed completely differently.
2: Yes. So when you inherit an IRA or a 401K, um, all sorts of different rules will come into play. It used to be not long ago that you could transfer that IRA into your name and then you will um, you can defer it really for the rest of your life with a very small distribution that's mandated by the IRS. Well, all of those rules have changed within the last couple years. And so now if you inherit an IRA or a 401k, you have 10 years, to liquidate that entire account. And why such a dramatic change? Well, what was happening is it was kind of the Rockefeller effect where they um, people were just rolling those IRAs and not spending very much of it, and it was going generation to generation through um, you know, a couple of different generations and and the IRS noticed that the balances of those accounts are getting very large. So they wanted to slow that down by making people take uh, distributions. So the difference between a 401k and a a traditional IRA is that corporations have different rules than an IRA. Now, typically in my practice, I would quickly take the 401k and roll it to an IRA, you know, for the beneficiary, because the rules are a little less um, dramatic than they are for the 401k. The part that I do like about the ten year distribution is that yes you have a minimum that you have or the maximum that you, minimum that you have to take out by the IRS, but I've been encouraging uh, beneficiaries to take out more based on their tax return so you know, uh, I think a knee jerk reaction is that people say, oh, well, I just only have to take out $2,000. Well, I say, well, maybe you want to take 20 because you're in a lower tax bracket. So I find the financial planning of it all easier with this 10 year um, deadline than when it would go forever because people tend to not want to have to pay taxes earlier than they're forced to. And I'm not talking about just beneficiaries on IRAs I'm talking in general most people try to um, try to delay taxes on everything to the degree that they're probably hurting themselves or their beneficiaries long term so we work with our clients to make sure that they understand why we're doing what we're doing and even if you have to pay Uncle Sam a little bit more right now it's probably in your best interest Bruce
1: yeah, that's so smart, Peg. And we, you know, we talk about tax diversification. And it even goes back to the 28-year-old, the previous text. If if you sock away all your money into retirement plans and you, and you paint yourself into an illiquidity corner, that can actually end up being detrimental. So this idea that taxable investments are bad. Oh, I don't want to have a taxable investment. I get a 1099 every year and I have to pay the taxes. It's true that that part of it can be a disadvantage, but there can also be advantages. So what I'm referring to specifically, if you inherit a non-qualified portfolio or non-qualified investment, non-qualified being the terminology for not in a retirement plan, so the person that had that investment was getting 1099s and paying taxes on the earnings or the gains every year, you actually get a step up in basis. So if I bought a stock for a dollar a share, and it's now trading at $100 a share, if I sell that stock, I have to pay the taxes on a $99 a share gain. But if I pass away with that stock, and it's trading at $100, and I leave it to my children, and they sell the stock after they inherit at $100, they don't have any tax consequence because their basis steps up to the $100 or the value when I passed away. You can't get that on uh, traditional IRAs or even Roth IRAs. This idea that having money in taxable accounts is is a bad idea is not true. We want diversification. We want some money in taxable accounts, some money in tax-deferred accounts, and some money in tax-advantaged accounts, we want to try to get money all three places, and we work with our clients to do that. And again, Peg, most people don't think that way, but you you said it. That was the magic thing. We look at reducing taxes over a lifetime, not just the current tax year. And sometimes you're better off paying a little bit more in taxes now to pay a lot less in taxes in the future. We're trying to lower your taxes net over a lifetime, not just the current year. Susie?
0: 651-461-9226, two, two, that is the number you can call for the next couple of minutes anyway. A texter writes, I think we might have addressed this, but maybe not. Um, does your advisor rebalance your account automatically, or do you have to actually ask them to do so? And uh, either one of you
2: can respond
1: to that, please. Yeah, we, Peg, we did talk a little bit about it, but uh, we'll, we'll run through that again.
2: Well, I think he's the person, the texter is asking if all advisors do rebalancing automatically. And I would say no, because you need to be commutative with your advisor. If you are in a managed account where you've given discretion for that advisor to manage or the investment team within the company to manage it, then yes, on an account by account basis, they will be rebalancing automatically. If you haven't given some type of discretion, then you may have to talk to your advisor directly or that advisor will call you and say, I recommend a a rebalance. We at Wealth Enhancement Group do reviews often with clients, and that's something that we address based on what's important to them at that time or what their needs are upcoming. So it's a, a yes and a no answer, but I would encourage you to ask, Bruce.
1: Um, we, I, if my uh, clock on the wall is correct, and I think it is, we've only got about two more minutes to go. So I don't know if we have time to squeeze in another question, Peg. Um, on this topic of 2024 financial action plan, what do you think is the key takeaway or two that you want to make sure uh, you leave listeners before we sign off today?
2: Well, I think the most important thing is is to pay attention to what you have. We had a very good year in 2023, both on the stock side and the bond side. But that's only one year. Historically, bonds have not performed. Now is a time to at least regroup with your advisor or yourself, if you're self managing, to say, Am I in a in a good position? Not just for this year, but longer term on the fixed income side. Bruce.
1: Really quickly, I had a couple in my notes that weren't in the outline. I think it's a great time to uh, double-check your beneficiary designations, Peg. A lot of times when people come to see me for the first time, they either have accounts where they don't have a beneficiary and they thought they did, or they have a beneficiary, but it's not who they thought it was or who they wanted to be. So check your investments and make sure it's a great time to, to take stock of that Also, people are are focusing now, Peg, on getting their contribution into their IRA or their, you know, whatever their retirement plan is, maybe the Roth, before they file their taxes to make their contribution for 23. But what about planning for taxes now for 2024? Maybe it's a good time to make your 24 contribution right now in addition to your 23, and then evaluate changes. And and what I mean by that is, if you want to put away 10 or 15 or 20% of your income investments, and you've been doing that, but you got a salary increase, then let's increase your investment. It's a good time to take stock of what's changed since last year. And Susie, I, uh, I hear the music. I know it's time to go. <laughs> All
0: right. And let's remind our listeners if you did not get your question answered, you can email it to your money at or call 1 888 6Advice.